Aren't you thankful that we do not have a God who has kept an arm's distance? His name is Emmanuel. We, we have a God who just doesn't only know how we feel, but through Jesus stepped into humanity to experience many of the things that we feel right in our own life. Some of you are hurting today and you have grief today and you have experienced rejection or you, uh, you have been, been hurt by someone. You've been wrongfully accused, spitefully used by someone. And this is the picture that we see of Jesus, that, that he went through and experienced these same challenges in a fallen world. God didn't just remain an arm's distance away. Monday, I uh, was a beautiful day, and as we were doing our Connect Food ministry and passing out uh, food to, to folks, uh, I was there, and, and I just thought, you know, it's Christmas time. I'm here. I'm just going to go and ask people if I can pray for them. And so for just over an hour, I just went car to car as people were coming to pick up food and said, can I, can I pray for you today? And you, you understand, people are hurting. You hear about financial challenges and physical challenges of cancer and grandparents raising grandkids because of addiction in their own children's lives. All kinds of different hurt and, and sorrow and ex- experiences of life in a world that often seems hurtful and without hope. But to to ask, to pray, and then to say, hey, Jesus reminds us that God can meet us right where we are, right in the situation in which we are in, and bring hope. And that's what we find in the message of the incarnation, as the Word became flesh. Take your Bibles this morning and turn me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse number 14, and that'll be the only verse that we read, but keep your finger in John chapter 1, because we're going to look at a couple of other verses as well. John chapter 1 and verse number 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your mighty word, but thank you for your mighty work. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And God, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior today, would you help them to see who he is, understand what he has done, feel the conviction and need in their own life, and turn from their sin and turn to him. In your name, amen. When we think about the Christmas story, typically we turn to the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. 
The Gospel of Matthew picks up in around verse number 18 with the story of the angel coming to Joseph and telling Joseph that Mary is going to bring forth the son and his, you're to call him Jesus in Matthew 1.21 for he will save his people from their sins. And in Matthew 1.23, his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then as we turn into chapter 2, we find the wise men who come and Again, I hate to ruin your nativity scene, but they didn't make it that night, okay? So, uh, but they came to see Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, we find even a little more detail. In the Gospel of Luke, we find the story of the angel coming to Zacharias, who, with his wife Elizabeth, was going to bring forth John the Baptist, and prepare, and he would prepare the way for Jesus. I find it interesting that Zacharias, this faithful older priest who sees this angel in the temple, basically says, how can I be sure of this? And so the Lord strikes him mute until he says his name will be called John, or he writes his name will be called John. Then we find the angel coming to Mary. And Mary, when the angel says that you're going to conceive and bring forth a child, she says, well, how is this going to happen? I, I don't know. I've not been with a man. And, and then the Holy Spirit, the, the angel says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And, and Mary says, let it be to me, as you've said. Then you've got the old faithful priest who says, well, how could I know this for sure? And you've got this young teenage girl who's saying, let it be just as you have said. I find that interesting, and I find the, the picture of our faith interesting, because the one that had walked with the Lord the longest wasn't the one who showed the most faith in this instance. But in Luke, we see the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we see the story of the angel coming to, to Mary. We find about the trip to Bethlehem. We, we hear in, that in Luke 2, 7, that the time was completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And then the angel shows up to the shepherds, and the shepherds come to the manger. That's all in the Gospel of Luke. But we often don't think of the Gospel of John around the Christmas story. But John takes all of, of the, the, this awesome picture and summarizes in one sentence, in one verse, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What Matthew and, and Luke spend verses and verses on, John just encapsulates that the Word became flesh, that God stepped into humanity, and Jesus is fully God and fully man, and Jesus as the God-man has come to save us from our sin. I read something this week, and I just thought, boy, this is really, really good. Talking about Jesus, it says he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he would work in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. 
He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he held on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race, the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of men as much as this one solitary life, the life of Jesus. Now, as we think about the word becoming flesh, I I want us to think about three thoughts around this Christmas story as God steps into humanity in the person of Jesus. First off, as we think about Jesus and the reason for his coming, Jesus came to fulfill the promises of God. Jesus came to fulfill the promises of of God. When we find that first promise in in the the book of Genesis after Adam and Eve had sinned, and and there's the promise that's made that the Lord speaks to the serpent and says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. He gives the picture there of the humanity of Jesus. That God, as he is working in life and is fulfilling his promises, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come through the womb of a woman and we see Jesus and his humanity. As God came to fulfill the promises of, of the, the, and looking at the need of man, he makes that initial promise and says, there's going to be one who's going to come through the seed of a woman who is going to crush the head of the enemy, and ultimately we find that he is also going to come through the family of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That he is going to be from the tribe of Judah in Genesis chapter 49. That he is going to be of the royal lineage of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. That he is going to arrive through the womb of a virgin in Isaiah 7, 14. And we see the promises. There is one who is going to come, who is going to bring hope. The humanity of Jesus. So we think about Jesus stepping in to humanity, experiencing the same challenges that we experience of the painful and sinful world that is all around us. Jesus, God in the flesh, takes on knees and elbows and big toes and eyebrows and fingers. And, and we think at this moment, of the incarnation, when this baby is laid in a manger, the world has no idea. The world has no idea. But we not only see the humanity, the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. But we also see the deity of Jesus. Notice it says that the word became flesh. Slide back up to John chapter 1 and it tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So that Jesus is fully not only human and God in he's God in flesh he is deity and he is humanity wrapped up in one person so that he is so uh so uh human in that the people did not recognize him as deity and yet he was fully God and could do things only God could do we find the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we think about the deity of, of Jesus and the word becoming flesh, and, and notice again how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we find that this was pictured in the Old Testament, but people probably didn't fully understand. Remember in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6? Unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about those words and we don't have time to to dig them all out, but we think of Mighty God. Mighty God. Jesus coming into earth, fully man, yet fully God. He is the Mighty God. There have been some guys that have done some pretty amazing things. I was reading about a guy named Ray Williams this week, and this guy got on a got a squat bar and 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 put nine hundred and thirty eight pounds on it and was able to squat and bring that back up. Nine hundred and thirty eight pounds. That's a lot. I I read about another guy named Kevin Fast who took this 188-ton airplane and was able to pull it. I mean, from a dead standstill on a plane, he was able to pull it eight meters, over 26 feet. That is an amazing act of strength. But then we think about the word. You know what it says in John chapter 1? It says, yeah, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was God, Jesus is God. And then it tells us that all things were made by him and that without him, nothing was made that was made. So we see the power of Jesus in that all of the billions of stars, the planets that we see, the world as we know it, created by him. That's power. That's power. So we see the humanity of Jesus. We see the deity of Jesus. But notice what it says. The word became flesh, God taking on humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here we get a picture of the availability of Jesus. The availability. He dwelt among us. He came and lived among people who were sinful. People who would be mean and would reject him. People who would mock him and crucify him. People who came to understand who he is and why he came and embrace the gift of salvation. Notice in John chapter 1 and verse number 11, he came to his own 
and his own did not receive him. But there's that precious promise of verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus changed lives and Jesus is still changing lives. He is available. He still forgives sin. He still provides hope. Emmanuel, God with us can be experienced in our life. God does not stay an arm's distance away or a heaven's distance away. The Bible tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that Emmanuel means God with us, that we can know that the Lord is in our life right now. So we don't ever have to take a step alone. We don't ever have to take a breath alone. We don't ever have to pay a bill alone. We never have to face a surgery alone. God is with us. God's with us. God's with us. Some of you are walking through challenging times in life, maybe medically, maybe relationally, maybe financially. And I want to tell you, the hope of our life is Emmanuel. God with us not only saves us from sin, but indwells us through the person of the Holy Spirit so that we can experience life. Jesus came to fulfill God's promise. The Messiah is coming. Full humanity, full deity, and absolute availability. If some of you don't know Jesus today, you can experience forgiveness and you can find hope in him. You, you may not know this, but you need him. Because all of us have thought things, said things, done things that have disqualified us from a relationship with God in a perfect heaven in the future. But God has made a way that we can be forgiven. We see Jesus came to fulfill God's promise. Secondly, we find in this passage that Jesus also came to reveal the glory of God. Notice what it says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When we think of the glory of God, we really think of the sum of all of his attributes. I mean, everything and all of the attributes that, that God is shows up through his glory. Now, there are some who through artistic renderings over the centuries have tried to, to draw the Lord Jesus in the manger with an aura of light around him. Or artists have, have taken him in different places of life or on the cross and they have driven, uh, they have, have uh, uh, painted or, or they have drawn an aura of life. I don't think the glory was like that. But the goodness and all of the attributes of God were shining in the person of Jesus. Now, as we think about this, it tells us that, that two in particular are going to stand out. That Jesus was full of grace and truth. The fullness of God's glory was shown as Jesus lived with grace. The fullness of God's glory was shown as Jesus was able to live with this sense of grace and extend that to others. Now listen, you, you understand that the Son and all of its beauty can shine down on a manure pile and not be in any way affected by 
the filth of that. The glory of Jesus could shine around in a world which was filled with sin and him not be tainted by that. So we find as Jesus lived and extended grace, we find how opposite this would be for many. I was thinking of of the, the Disney movie Alice in Wonderland. I used to watch that. I've watched it some with my kids, watched it with my niece. I even saw it as a kid growing up. But as the queen of hearts, her favorite line was when someone did something wrong, off with her head, off with his head, off with her head, off with his We often picture that if Jesus was coming as a, as a, as a leader, as God in the flesh, whenever somebody did something wrong, it would be banished off with their head. And yet we find through Jesus the extension of his grace. And we need it. I need it. Jesus, as he stepped into humanity, full deity, Jesus did not just overlook sin. Jesus ultimately overtook sin when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. There was a price to pay. And there is a price to pay for your sin and mine. And it can be transferred back as the Lord showed his grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, that though he were rich, yet he made himself poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. If you know him today and have experienced his grace, you're rich. Then Jesus not only lived and extended grace, but as Jesus lived, he taught truth. Notice what it says. He was full of grace and full of truth that the glory of God was shown through the teaching of Jesus as he would extend grace and share a message of salvation and take one and say, rise up and walk or, or look, you, you be, you, you be healed. The power of Jesus. He taught truth. He taught us that he is the way, the truth and the life that no one could come to the Father but by him. Jesus came to reveal the totality of God's heart to us. That God so loved the world, as John would tell us, in quoting Jesus in just a couple chapters over, that God would so love the world that he would give his only begotten son. And that son would come to live and show God's glory and grace and truth. Jesus came to fulfill the promise of God and to reveal the glory of God. But we do find that Jesus came to save. And as we think of Jesus and his life, we recognize that that statement in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost is driven home to us as we recognize Jesus came to save God's people. Notice again, verse number 12, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. Jesus came to save. Jesus didn't come just to live as a good example. 
and to tell you that you should WWJD, what would Jesus do? He, he, didn't, he didn't just say, look, follow my example. Jesus came to save you because you're sick with sin. You've thought things and done things and said things and acted in ways that not only broke God's laws, but disqualified you from God's presence. And Jesus made a way so that you could experience forgiveness, salvation, hope, and heaven. I'm reminded of that faith of Mary. Let it be to me. And as we think of this time of year, and as Rusty Ford shared with us last week, and they're preparing to go back to to Spain the first week of January, we recognize that the message of sharing God's salvation really does now rest upon us who are here and serve and stand as missionaries. We're praying, we're giving, we're going. Lottie Moon was born on December the 12th, 1840. She became a believer in her high school years. And then the Lord began to stir in her heart a desire for missions. She taught for a while. But at the age of 33, she left, as a single woman, she left the comfort of the United States and sailed to China, where she would spend the next 39 years. You may have heard over the last few weeks the the word Lottie Moon, and we think about Lottie Moon, and, and she was a missionary there, and she was... Innovative as a missionary. When she went to China, she began to take on the custom and dress and wear Chinese clothing. And to adapt to that culture and and live in a way like the Chinese. But through all of this time to share the message of Jesus with others. Whether it was baking cookies because she was called a foreign devil. to, to to, To endear people to try to reach people, and then sharing with them the message of Jesus. In the early 1900s, China was in a place of desperation. And the people that Lottie Moon was ministering to, they were starving. And so what she began to do was give her food away. And on December the 24th, Christmas Eve, 1912, after getting sick because she gave selflessly, they put her on a ship to head back to the United States, and she died. She died because she wanted to share the message that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. She wanted the Chinese to know. And so in honor of that, as the Southern Baptist Convention and part of our missions offering, we have a Lottie Moon offering in which at Christmas time we remember 
the sacrifice and we give to the cause of missions. But we do that because Jesus came to save. Jesus living, dying, rising, and now extending the gift of forgiveness and salvation to all. Have you received the gift of Jesus? If you haven't, you're missing the true meaning of Christmas and the greatest gift of Christmas. You can have all the trappings and all the trees and all the presents, but if you don't have Jesus, you've missed Christmas.